like that song. That's good. He is worthy, isn't he? Amen. That's good. Well, let's take our Bibles. Turn over to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 12. Quite a bit going on here today, and boy, that's been good. I like that ensemble too. Didn't you like them? Then that quartet, you know, with that George Yant sounding bass singer in there. <clears throat> Some of you don't know what I'm talking about, but the cathedrals had a bass singer by the name of George Yants. If you have never heard him, they'll, you know, Mark, he almost sounds just like him. <clears throat> oh, my, that was good. I enjoyed that. 1 Samuel chapter 12. 1 Samuel chapter 12. We're going to go on over there and take a look there. Um, we're going to read the chapter, really. We're just going to read the whole chapter. It's about 150 verses long. No, no, I'm teasing. It's not that long. It's not. Okay, so let's go ahead and uh, read that together, all right? Chapter 12, I'll read it out loud. You can read it with me silently, if you would, please. Um, <clears throat> and the Bible says, And Samuel said unto all Israel, Behold, I have hearkened unto your voice, and all that ye said unto me, and have made me a king over you. Excuse me, made a king over you. And now, behold, the king walketh before you. And I am old and gray-headed, and behold, my sons are with you, and I've walked before you from my childhood unto this day. Behold, here am I, witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed, whose ox have I taken, whose, whose ass have I taken, or whom have I defrauded, whom have I oppressed, or of whose hand have I received any bribe to blind mine eyes therewith, and I will restore it to you. And they said, Thou hast not defrauded us, nor oppressed us, neither hast thou taken aught of any man's hand. And he said unto them, The Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day, that ye have not found aught in my hand. And they answered, He is witness. And Samuel said unto the people, It is the Lord that advanced Moses and Aaron, and that brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still, that I may reason with you before the Lord of all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he did to you and your fathers. When Jacob was come into Egypt, and your fathers cried unto the Lord, then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, which brought forth your fathers out of Egypt, and made them dwell in this place. And they forgot the Lord their God. He sold them into the hand of Sisera, captain of the host of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab. And they fought against them. And they cried unto the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served Balaam and Ashtaroth. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies, and we will serve thee. And the Lord sent Jerubbabel and Bedan and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and ye dwelled safe. And when ye saw that Naash king of the children of Ammon came against you, you said unto me, Nay, but a king shall reign over us, when the Lord your God was your king. Now therefore, behold the king whom ye have chosen, and whom ye have desired. Behold, the Lord has set a king over you, ye will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall both ye and also the king that reigneth over you continue following the Lord your God. But if ye will not obey the voice of the Lord, 
but rebel against the commandment of the Lord. Then shall the hand of the Lord be against you as it was against your fathers. Now therefore stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call unto the Lord, and he shall send thunder and rain, that ye may perceive and see that your wickedness is great, which ye have done in the sight of the Lord in asking you a king. So Samuel called unto the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said unto Samuel, Pray for thy servants unto the Lord thy God, that we die not. For we have added unto all our sins this evil to ask us a king. And Samuel said unto the people, Fear not. You have done all this wickedness, wickedness, yet turn not aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And turn ye not aside, for then should ye go after vain things which cannot profit nor deliver, for they are vain. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it hath pleased the Lord to make you his people. Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider how great things he hath done for you. But if ye shall still do wickedly, ye shall be consumed, both ye and your king. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for the time that we've had together in your word already. We thank you for the wonderful music and, Father, just for the choir that lifted their voice up earlier. What a wonderful, wonderful song and how it ministered to our hearts. We just thank you for the many groups and, Lord, just for the, even the children this morning. Lord, what a blessing it was. And, Lord, we thank you now for this time that we have together to read your word and now to give consideration to it. Again, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come along and anoint the lips of this preacher, that you would just send your Holy Spirit to anoint the ears of every listener that we might hear with spiritual ears. Father, illuminate our hearts and help us to see what you would have us to see. It will not be the mere words of a man tonight or even a preacher that will make the difference. It will be you applying these truths to hearts and lives as only you can. So, Father, please plant the Word of God deep in our lives and Build a hedge of protection about us and keep the devil out. Lord, we need you tonight. We thank you. Be glorified in this service. In Christ's name, amen. So here in our passage, we note something taking place. We have Samuel now coming to the end of his ministry, and he's going along here and he's talking about this idea that they had requested and asked for and demanded a king. And in right in verse 1, you know, the Bible simply says that that they had a king over them now. You got a king. That's what you asked for. That's what you got. And then he goes on to talk about the fact that in verses 2 through 5 that he gives his testimony. He kind of shares his credentials a little bit. And again, he's winding down his ministries, coming to an end, and here he is now kind of wrapping things up. And this issue of a king just keeps popping up. And so he goes on here now to begin to tell them a little bit about himself and, and to, to point out that he was, had integrity, that he had character, that he was upright, that he had done nothing amiss, that he had been ethical in his dealings with the people of God. And 
And he even asked them, if, if I've ever done anything wrong, you let me know and I'll make it right. And of course, the people said, no, there's, there's nothing that you've done wrong. We've, we have to admit, we will agree that you were, um, you had integrity, that you had character and that you handled things properly. Then he reminds the people in verses 6 to 11 of God's role in their past. He begins to remind them of what God has done in the past. And, and so we see him going through that process here. We've read about it already, but we see that he talks about them uh, going into Egypt and how they cried out and how God supernaturally delivered them and so forth and so on. He then talks about how in verses 12 and 13, and I, this is where it gets pretty interesting, he points out, that the people fearing the armies of the Ammonites and while setting their sights upon the other nations approached him demanding a king when all along they had one. God was always their king. That's how God really wants it. God wants a theocracy. He wants to be king. And in the millennium, he will be the king. And so we see here that there's a couple of reasons why they requested the king. We often talk about the idea that they looked around the other nations and saw that they had kings and they wanted to mimic and be kind of like the other kings. But there's also this little added little deal here that Samuel points out. And uh, <clears throat> he says, when you saw the nation, that Nahash, the king of the children of Ammon, came against you, ye said unto me, Nay, but a king shall reign over us. What he's really saying then is simply this. The enemy was going to come upon us. And we saw the threat, and it was a legitimate threat. We wanted a king to stand in our place, to lead us into battle, to give us the victory. So what they really were saying was, our king couldn't. We wanted another. Isn't that amazing, really? Now, they didn't see it that way. If you would have stood them up and questioned them one-on-one, do you believe God's not powerful enough to deliver you? That nobody, oh, no, we don't believe he could deliver us. We need a, a man to deliver us. We need a king to deliver us, an earthly king, a human king. They, they wouldn't have dismissed God that way. However, that's exactly what they did. And can I tell you, let's be honest. We may not come out and say it all the time, but there are times in our lives when we through our actions and our attitude and the way we approach a circumstance or a situation, we basically say we need something other than God. We, we do that. We do the same thing they did. But here now, he says, Nahash is going to come against us. We need a king. And they went and said, give us a king, like the other nations. And so they did, even though they had a king. So God gave them what they wanted. And he set a king over them. In verses 14 and 15, we noted that the Lord was always with them throughout their history. He's always been there. Even when they sinned, God was in the wings waiting to hear them repent and to turn back. He was really always there to some degree or another. In verses 16 through 18, we know that Samuel, just to remind them one more time how wicked they were, and how wrong they were to seek a king when they had a king. He said, I'm going to send thunder and rain during wheat harvest. And sure enough, he prayed and God did just that. And that sign again, it expressed God's displeasure toward his people for asking a king. Have you ever done something you know displeased the Lord? 
Isn't it funny that he had to, <clears throat> I think it's interesting here, to be frank with you. I think it's kind of interesting, not funny, that he had to give them a sign. Now, again, the Jew requires a sign, so there's, I guess that shouldn't surprise me. <clears throat> but how many times have we done something that we know doesn't please our Lord, but it's almost like he's got to prove it? Now, he tells us he doesn't approve of it, but we somehow justified in our minds. And unless God just like hits us on the head with a baseball bat, unless he sends rain when it's perfectly sunny out, we go, well, it must not be that bad. And in this case, he makes it perfectly clear, very, very clear. Now, therefore, stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. And sure enough, he did a great thing. And I want you to notice something very interesting. Look at verse 19. <clears throat> and all the people said unto Samuel, Pray for thy servants unto the Lord thy God that we die not. It finally hits them. As a people, they finally come to the realization how wicked it was to ask a king when they had one. Now, now watch what happens here in verse 19. Pray for thy servants unto the Lord thy God that we die not, for we have added unto all our sins this evil to ask us a king. Hmm. Verse 18 shows us how this all impacted them. The Bible says, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. So here they are now. They're scared out of their minds because of this thunder. They're scared because of this, this, this you know, uh, rain that's being sent during this time period. It's going to wreck and ruin things. It's going to destroy the harvest. It's going to do all kinds of problems. Man, they're worried. They're concerned. They're fretting. They're fearful. And notice they are afraid now. They're afraid of even dying. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. Can I ask you something real quick? When that storm came, and they feared for their lives, and they feared for their livelihoods. Do you think that that fear was, oh, God, you're so great? Or do you think that was, oh, God, oh. Which fear do you think that was? Which fear? It has to be the first, right? Because we know God would never want anyone to fear him like that. But we know from the context, it's obvious. They were scared out of their minds. They were afraid they were going to die. That is not, oh, God, I hold you in such awe. That is, oh, God, you're so big, you're going to crush us, and we're scared to death. Now, here's what I'm going to try to show you very, very quickly. This is an important truth. Verse 20 and 22, watch what happens here. 20 through 22, and Samuel said unto the people, fear not. Do you see that? What does that word, what does that phrase fear not, what does it, what precedes it? Well, verse 19 does. Verse 18, they're scared out of their minds. They greatly fear the Lord and Samuel. Verse 19, they said, pray for thy servants unto the Lord thy God for, that we die not, for we have added unto all our sins this evil to ask us a king. What's really going on there? Repentance. 
confession of sin, acknowledgement of their guilt. They recognize that they deserve to die. Do you see that there? Let's not miss that because our culture doesn't see that today. Let's not miss it. It's in the Bible. Right off the bat, we have them here. They're concerned. They're afraid. They fear the Lord and Samuel. Greatly fear them. Why? Because of the thunder, because of the rain, because of the, 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 the supernatural thing that's taking place. And this is a man of God. Man, this God of ours is big, and we really messed up in demanding a king. Oh, pray for us. Ask God to spare us. We're scared to death here. And what does he say? Fear not. You have done all this wickedness, yet turn not aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And turn ye not aside, for then should ye go after vain things which cannot profit nor deliver, for they are vain. Again, notice what's going on here. First there's, they feared. Then Samuel says, fear not. Can I tell you, the problem with our culture today is that we are saying fear not before there's been fear. Did you, hear, you understand what I'm trying to say? Watch. <clears throat> First there needs to be the fear. Then comes the fear not. Just serve the Lord. See, today everybody, fear not. God's a loving God. Fear not. God cares about you. Fear not. Even though you mess up, God's always there to take care of all the problems and to fix all the consequences and take care of all the issues. Fear not. Fear not. Fear not. But wait, biblically, fear not followed fear. First they feared and they said, wow, we're sinners. And then the man of God said, fear not. Just serve God now. You finally got where you need to be. You finally arrived at the place where God can now use you. You are where God wants you, in a place where you recognize his amazing awesomeness, his power, his authority, and his right to judge. Now, fear not, because it is not God's desire to crush you and to annihilate you. It's God's desire to see you prosper and thrive. But we can't get there till we fear. Not this fear, this fear. If you don't fear God's wrath, or you don't fear God, the consequences of sin in your life, my friend, you'll never get to the place where a preacher can say fear not because you think somehow you have a right to continue to sin. And you will wreck your life and your families and everybody else's because somehow you have put God's grace in a place where it does not belong. God's grace is extended in this passage, but it is after they feared the consequences of their sin. We do not believe today that God holds us accountable in two, in off, often in certain cases. This crowd probably does. But can I tell you that there are crowds across this country, in America, in churches around this country, that don't believe that God holds us accountable. And I'm telling you, it's a scary place. We're raising a generation of young people that believe there's no consequences for their actions. 
And it all begins with God and the Word of God. We have dismissed God's Word, which ultimately dismisses the ultimate authority, God, in our lives. And when you take God out of the equation, there are no absolutes, there's no real standard, and therefore there's no real consequences. And now we've come to a place where moms and dads don't hold their own children accountable. And when there is an element of accountability, then people say, you're being so mean. Why are you so nasty? Why? Because there's something that's right and there's something that's wrong? Why? Because God says fear first, then fear not? You have to first fear the authority, God. You as a child have to first fear the authority of your parents. You have to first fear the authority of your your bosses. How is it possible? I talked to a lady in our church not long ago, and she's working in a professional field. And she said in one day she overheard four professionals state I will not do what my boss said. I'm not doing that. How does that happen in our world? How did we get there in America where people who have common sense supposedly at least have supposed to have brains, they are professionals, therefore they had to have some kind of education, and yet they've come to the conclusion that no boss has a right to tell them what to do in the workplace. How did we get there? Can I tell you how? We stopped believing there's anything to fear. In this passage, they first feared the Lord, and they feared the man of God. Why? Because he had power with God. Then the man of God was at liberty to say, fear not. Then the grace comes. The mercy's extended, and the grace comes. Young people, until you fear the authority of your parents... You ought to be afraid. The fear not doesn't come till you've admitted that they have a right to discipline and you deserve it. We live in a culture and a society and unfortunately Christianity today that is neglecting and forgetting that God is a righteous God and he has a right to hold us to a standard and he outlines that standard for us in Scripture. So they agree that they had sinned greatly. But they're, they're admonished to serve the Lord with all their hearts and to turn not aside. Otherwise, he says, you're going to pursue vain things, empty things, things that won't matter. You're going to end up places and it's going to serve no real purpose. You're not going to really accomplish anything with your existence. I'm fearful today that there is a, a movement in Christianity to do a lot of things without any real accomplishing purpose. <laughs> we're, not, we're not accomplishing our purpose for existing. I, I love to hear the stories. You should be, uh, it's amazing in our, our, our Go rallies how many wonderful testimonies we have had this whole year. It's been wonderful. Ever since we've kicked it back off, it's been amazing some of the testimonies we're hearing. And, and let me tell you something. If you're not on board with trying to reach others with the gospel, you ought to try to get on board. You say, I can't come on Saturday. That's all right. Just try to do it at work then. Reach somebody, would you? Fulfill your God-given purpose for existing. And one of those things is to take the gospel into the world and make a difference, to truly reach people with and for Jesus Christ. It's amazing. But so many times if we get off track and we fail to put God in his rightful place, we pursue vain things. I mean, it's just common sense. It happens. One of the testimonies was, I realized 
And I'm just word for I'm, I've been lazy. I, I have wasted time. You know, you know what that person was saying? I've been pursuing vain things, empty things. I've put forth energy in areas that didn't produce anything of any eternal value. Listen, we can all raise our hands and say we waste time. And we all do. It's, it's, that's not implying that you can't have a downtime. It's not implying you can't. And I'm just going to say this, and you, you take whatever you want. Maybe I'm not fundamental enough for some of you, and I'm too fundamental for others. But you could go home and watch a show if you want. So he says, yo, throw your TV out. Well, okay, throw it out then. I'm just saying, though, I'm not implying that you can't have downtime. I'm not saying you can't watch a, a show or something. I'm not telling you that you can't enjoy just hanging out, drinking an iced tea. Make sure it's iced tea or something like that, though. Be careful now. <laughs> Some of you are like, yeah, I like sitting on the back porch, too. Really good. <laughs> okay, I got you. Just you know, keep that to yourself and don't post it on Facebook, at least if you're in the choir. Okay, come on. You know, hopefully we don't find out about it until you can fix it then. <laughs> oh, my. I'll tell you what, if you can't laugh about some things, folks, I, I, I pity you. But anyway, and I'm not laughing about sin. Don't misunderstand me. I got a feeling this crowd isn't out, out there to, you know, drinking liquor and all that. I don't think that's happening, so I think we can kind of Kind of take a little lightheartedness. Uh, you know, there's only a few of the ladies that do that in the choir, but <clears throat> we're pretty good shape. <laughs> All right. There's probably somebody watching going, writing it down right now. He said, right from his pulpit. <laughs> it's right from the pulpit. I, I heard it with my own ears. Yeah, I'm sure you did. But um, he says, although you've sinned greatly, he says, the Lord will not forsake you. Man, I'm telling you what, that's a blessing. But remember what happened first. They feared, and then they feared not. Man, listen, he's trying to help us to understand. When you get to that place in your life where you recognize your sin before a holy God, and you really have convinced yourself, and you are, conv you are convinced in your heart that, boy, what, would it, what is man that thou art mindful of him? That's when he says, hey, fear not. You're right where you need to be now. And don't you dare run from God. He is not going to harm you or hurt you now. No, he is not going to do anything like that at all. He's not going to spank you. He's not going to discipline you. He's not going to correct you at this point. You are where you need to be at this moment. Fear not. Just get on board with God and begin to serve him. Otherwise, you're going to pursue vain things, and you don't want to waste your time in this life because you only have one shot at it. In verse 23 through 25, I love this. In verse 23, Samuel basically says, I won't give up on you. He's telling the people, I won't give up on you. Have you ever felt, you know, when you've done something really dumb or you've sinned, I mean, really greatly, you just feel like people just are going to give up on you? You know, well, okay, I, I messed up. Okay, that's it. It's over. Nobody cares about me anymore. I'm off the charts. Nobody would ever look. I mean, no, why would anybody want anything to do with me now? You ever been there? 
I, I would venture to say it's probably been quite a few of us. But isn't it funny that God, that's not how he wants God's people to be. He, he's not saying that we embrace the sin or that we, that we both acknowledge and we endorse it. That's not what he's saying. However, when somebody fears God and finally gets some things right in their life, our response is, hey, I'm not giving up on you. I've been praying for you even when you were out there. And now that you're back, let me tell you, I'm going to keep praying for you. Even though you messed up, I'm going to keep praying for you because I know one thing for sure. You're not going to be able to stay straight without the Lord working in your life. And so I'm just going to keep praying for you. I'm going to keep working for you. Look, look what Samuel said. He's great. Moreover, it's for me, God forbid, that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. Has there been people you've stopped praying for because you just thought they were lost causes? What does Samuel call that? It's kind of messed up, isn't it? Now, I'm not talking about you just, you get so many people you're praying for and you're just kind of like, man, dude, the list is getting this long and I haven't seen this person in five years and blah, blah, blah. I, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, you know you ought to be praying for somebody, but you kind of write them off because they haven't done things the way you'd like them to. But you know you ought to be praying. Samuel knew he should be praying, and he says, listen, I'm not giving up on you. Because if I give up on you, then it's me that's sinning now. If I'm not praying for you, it's me that's sinning. Look at this, verse 24. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider how great things he hath done for you. First of all, Samuel in verse 23 says, I won't give up on you. Number, verse 24, he tells the people, God won't give up on you. You see, everything God's already done, let me tell you something, he's not finished yet. And finally, verse 25. But if ye shall still do wickedly, ye shall be consumed, both ye and your king. I won't give up on you, verse 23. God won't give up on you, verse 24. Will you give up? Will you give up? So Samuel's that. will you give up? I'm not going to give up on you. God's not going to give up on you now. I mean, you were fearful, and I made it clear that you had done wickedly, and you responded in the correct manner. You found yourself bowing and kneeling before God, and when you got on your knees, you came to the right place, and I say, fear not. God doesn't want to harm you. God doesn't want to hurt you. God wants you to come back to him and use you. And I'm telling you, I won't give up on you. And God, he won't give up on you. The only question is, will you give up on yourself? How many times have we blamed others for our faults and failures? Well, if only you would have been there for me, I wouldn't have done that. Oh, I see. Well, I know one thing. God was there. You may be upset with a person, but you better not be upset with God. He was there all along. Don't try to excuse your actions, and I better not excuse my actions by blaming other people. When God gives us everything we need, the Holy Spirit living in us, and honestly, in most cases, there's a pretty decent support system. I'm not talking about, you know, there's situations where there's not much support, but can I tell you, there's even a youth group over here where there's young people in our church that don't have any support at home. And we just had, uh, they're, they're still here. Somebody cares about them. Somebody's saying, I'm going to pray for you. I won't give up on you. God won't give up on you. Will you give up on yourself?
sooner or later, the last point of this is that you have to, and, and I say, will you give up? The last point of that is simply personal responsibility. When it's all said and done, it's up to you. So when we look at this, I, I have this, this little, I had this message, and we're done, okay, because of time, but here's what, the first point was your sin cannot keep you from God, only you can. There's no sin in the world that'll keep you from God. Not one. Have you ever talked to somebody and they say things like, you just don't know what I've done. God wouldn't want anything to do with me. You ever been there? You you talk to people like that? Do you know what? That's an excuse not to come to God. Because see, there's not one sin that keeps you from God. The only thing that keeps you from God is you. It's you. It's you. It's you. It's me. You say, but if I do this, then it'll separate me from God. It's your decision as to whether or not you'll be separated from God or not. It won't be the sin that'll keep you separated. It'll be you who chooses not to be drawn nigh to him. It's always your decision. It's always mine. Sin cannot keep you from God. Only you can. No matter where you are, no matter what you've done. Number two, I said, it will never be you what you can do, or anyone else who truly brings success to you in your life. It's always been and always will be God. That's what we see here in the passage. To Israel, he's saying, listen, God was with you in the past. God has supernaturally delivered you through through the, the judges. And now here am I, ready to pass off the scene, and he's given you a king. And the truth is, if you will serve the Lord, you and your king both will be blessed. In spite of the fact that you entered into this wrong and you went into it in sin, it wasn't the thing I intended for you, but I will bless it if you will only draw nigh to me. I'm not a fan of this. Watch this. I'm not a fan of this. You're either in the center of God's will, you're in his will, his permissive will, or his something will. I don't know. These people come up with all these wills of God. You are either in the will of God or you are out of the will of God. It is that simple, my friend. You say, but if I wouldn't have done this, then I'd be able to be a preacher today. Uh, Listen, you can be right in the center of God's will where you're at. Okay, so maybe some doors have closed. Opportunities are no longer afforded you. But listen, let me tell you something. You write yourself off, but God hasn't written you off. No, God hasn't written you off yet. You better stop that. Just stop right there. The devil's trying to discourage you. The devil's trying to say that you can't be used now, that you've taken so many steps the wrong direction, that there's no way to come back. I'm telling you, that's a lie. Oh, I know there may be consequences to our actions, but you can be in the center of God's will today. I don't care what you did last night. You can be in the center of God's will today. And if you're not, it's because you choose not to be. It's not because a pastor doesn't appreciate you. It's not because a congregation doesn't accept you. It's not because your friends don't understand you. It's not because your parents didn't raise you right. It'll be because you choose not to be. You say, well, there's so many psychological factors. Uh, I'm not going to dismiss the fact that there's a lot of issues that we have to work through and deal with, but can I tell you, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us, the Bible says. Now, who are we going to believe? 
The doctors who tell us that we're going to need 10 years of psychotherapy to get over our childhood, are we going to just say, you know what, if I need a counselor, I'll find one, but I'm not going to dismiss God and his word because when it's all said and done, I make choices and nobody makes those choices for me. I make those choices. And you know what? Even as a child, there are choices you make. Nobody can make you do certain things. Some of you young people could sneak out the window tonight, go do your own thing. No parent in the world could stop you. Well, my kid won't do that. I'll lock them up. Yeah, for how long till they lock you up? There comes a point where you better man up, you better lady up, and make your mind up to serve God. It is your decision. Nobody decides that for you. And if you're letting the past or you're letting somebody that said something or did something to you keep you from being what God wants you to be, my friend, that's your fault. That's not their fault. It's yours. Because there's not one thing that should keep you from God. Nothing can keep you from God but you. And there's not one thing that's going to bring success in your life but him. You better get on board. You better get on board with him. That's good enough. Father, we come to you. We thank you, Lord, for just this time we've had together tonight. Lord, how many times has the devil tried to discourage a believer? How many times have he tried to discourage me and try to bring up the past or try to bring up heartaches or hurts or something that's been said or done or, what, or even just, just, Lord, just kind of tell us how small we are. And, or then sometimes we even we sin against you and sometimes... We know, Lord, we got to get right. Well, God, help us to recognize our sin before you, a holy God. And when we come to you with a broken heart, when we come to you acknowledging your greatness, Lord, you're going to say, fear not. You, you've just contacted your heavenly Father. Your daddy's here to bring you comfort and strength and to equip you and to enable you to accomplish everything that I intend for you. Help us, Lord, to realize that you're there for us always. Man, when we step out, we ought to be concerned. Just like a child steps out, he ought to be concerned that there's going to be consequences for his actions. We should be concerned for our own actions when we step out. But Lord, when we make up our mind to seek your mercy and your grace, oh God, you, you're saying, fear not. I'm all about seeing you succeed. Father, help us now. We need you. We'll praise you, Father. In Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand every head bowed, every eye closed today.